Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show. Positively different radio in the morning with the Double L team filling in for Mon while she's away, Lyle and Lawson. And coming up in today's show, we have some amazing stories to share with you. One of those being a Monrog. Now, Mon, our Monrogs, of course, are Mon Radio Logs. And so we just shortened it to Monrog because it uh, is easier to say. But Mon is going to be sharing with us her latest experiences from working in Kenya. She's going to share with you an experience of... Uh, what it means to really see the real Kenya. She's going to describe to you a Kenya that tourists never see. And so this is going to be challenging. It's going to be somewhat heartbreaking, but very, very powerful. And of course, the reason we know this is because this is the delayed broadcast and we have already presented it. Along with that, we will be also talking about some uh, more serious uh, issues in the news. We're going to talk about uh, Cardinal from Germany, who has written a very strong letter, four pages of it, against Pope Francis. And so the conservative Catholics are getting very, very concerned with the direction that Pope Francis is taking the church. We're going to discuss the pros and the cons and the good parts and the bad parts of how that all fits in. We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 16 in context with uh, that particular news story. Of course, we have an interview coming up with Dr. Peter Lyne. Uh, who's going to be speaking on the subject of Neanderthals and Denisovians and, of course, uh, looking at um, how so much of this history has been reinterpreted to try and fit an evolutionary model. So that will be Dr. Peter Lyon coming up a little bit later in the show once again. You don't want to ever miss our creation evolution pieces because they are some of the most insightful uh, interviews that we ever have. Followed by that, we will have the Encounter with God section where we're getting into the subject of the 144,000 and the controversy continues. Does God's people go through the tribulation at the end of time or not? Are they rescued beforehand? If you want to know the answer to that question, then stay tuned because that will be in the second hour of the show where we will show you some things from the Bible that will surprise you, it will shock you, and it will challenge you. But don't forget, as always, if you'd like to be part of the live show, which is so much better than the uh, th- than the uh, pre-recorded show, where you get the news and the weather on the hour, then don't forget to give us a call. N- to not to give us a call, but to use the uh, TuneIn Radio app on your phone, or simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play. That's the way everybody's doing it these days. Catch up with the times and join everybody else on the live show. Oh freedom, oh freedom, oh freedom over me And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave And go home to my Lord and be free No more weeping, no more weeping over me And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave And go home to my Lord and be free There will be singing, 
Across to Mon in Africa for our daily update. Mon, welcome to uh, the breakfast show. It must be late in the evening for you over there. Yeah, it's more like a dinner show for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> a late night show. I we'll, was call just it, com- we'll call it Mon's yeah, late night show. Right. <laughs> exactly. I was just thinking to myself as I was coming down the stairs at my hotel room to get the Wi-Fi in the reception area, I was like, man, what a lot am I doing to ourselves? I have to get up in the middle of the night and he has to get up at the crack of stupid o'clock to do these things. <laughs> there must be a better way. <laughs> <laughs> there must be. There must be. We'll have to figure it out. Maybe we just need to... Uh, Spin the world a bit faster, or make it a bit smaller, or something. Rather, I'm not quite sure what it, what it is, but something, something. There's got to be a solution somewhere. <laughs> uh, as long as we sound alright, and we're not we're not sounding as tired as we feel right now. <laughs> so, Mon, tell us what's been happening over the weekend there in Kenya. Oh, okay. So, I mean, technically, it is still weekend here. It is Sunday night. Um, with the time delay, I did want to. I did want to quickly tell you. Um, I think the last time we spoke, we kind of got cut off, and some people have been asking me what the rest of the story there was. Um, and so we had just finished at the beginning of the weekend uh, working in an extremely poverty-stricken uh, region. Uh, well, um, flower farms uh, were being um, grown, and they're all owned by multinationals, like uh, international companies, and uh, the companies are basically. Um, you know, it's, uh, I can't. I can't think of any other way to describe it other than slave labor. These people work for three dollars fifty Australian a day. They work seven days a week. Um, and I found out and this is so sad. These people, when they work at these flower farms, they can only work there for a maximum of five years because by the five time five years is up, their bodies are so riddled with disease and a lot of cancer from all the pesticides and the insecticides that they've had to work with on the flower farms, they're so sick their bodies can't take it anymore. So it's like a five-year career and then they're done, they're shot. Um, so they're basically being just treated like animals. It's Yeah, it's really disgusting. It's disgraceful what humans will do to each other for money. And when we live in a Western society, in a first-world country like Australia, you often don't see it. You just go to the supermarket and you buy some nice-looking product it's when you come to a place like this and when you get driven to out-of-the-way places like we went to, you really stare it in the face and it makes you really rethink your choices. So, yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, I am grateful for the opportunity to, to, ha- to, ha- to have this experience, but it is extremely difficult, especially when these people start turning up at these free clinics for free medical aid. And they are so unbelievably sick and so unbelievably poor. Um, we were at a church building. I'm, to, I'm going to put pictures up of this building on our um, social media so people can look at how 
how unbelievably primitive these buildings are. You know, and they're so proud of them because to them it's like, you know, such an amazing structure. And to us it's like this is a health hazard and nothing else. Um, but we were in a in a building like a, in a mud hut so primitive um, that there wasn't even a, a, a good enough space for us to do our low-key surgeries. We do some sort of um, low-key surgeries uh, mainly for family planning. Uh, there's a, I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's a rod that you can inject into a woman's arm and it gives her anything from three to five years um, of contraception. Um, two rods if you want longer. And, uh, and so we perform these surgeries because they're really quite large, the injections. I think you saw them on our, on our Insta did, story, Lyle, and I you did. almost lost your lunch. Yes, my breakfast. Yeah, so they're pretty big. Yeah, yes, I almost lost your breakfast. Um, so <laughs> I've been assisting in those, but we were at this building um, over the weekend and it was, it was so primitive we couldn't do it inside the building. The safest place was actually in our, in our team van. And so we, I called it the van jury, the, the van surgery. <laughs> and, um, and so people, women were lining up at a van and they were getting in the van, sitting on the back seat and the nurse was administering, um, the rods and I would help, um, and film. So that's the kind of poverty you're looking at. I, I had this one moment that I thought to myself, I have to tell um, Lyle and the listeners about this. I don't know if this happens a lot, but I certainly saw it happen uh, right in front of my face. There was a woman with her baby and the baby was teething and, uh, and it was sort of, and uh, what she did was she actually took its shoe off, its rubber soled shoe and gave the baby its own shoe to chew on. And the shoe is absolutely filthy, just covered in this Kenyan dust that is everywhere. Everything here is dirty. It's covered in a film of dust. And, like, imagine walking through the bush all day and then you come home and your shoes are covered in filth. That's what the shoes look like here all the time. And so this little baby took it, took its own filthy shoe and stuck it in its mouth and started chewing on it and gnawing on it for, for pain relief. And I was just, I was just, oh, I almost cried because... I just come from Australia. I could have bought like half a suitcase full of teething rings if only I'd known that this was something that they needed. So, yeah, this is the kind of stuff we're seeing every day here. So when a person goes to Kenya to go on a safari and see wild animals, those kinds of things, stay in a resort, mm. do, they get, do they get to see these parts of Kenya? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, and I want to tell you, um, so over the weekend on Saturday night, we went to, and I, I do support this idea to some extent. Um, we went to what they called a bush, a bush lodge. And it was basically like a five star, um, uh, hotel kind of a place. And, the, and, and when I say five star, I do mean five star by Australian standards because at the moment we're staying in a place that is considered to be five star by Kenyan standards, where in Australia it would be more like a one star standard. But we went to an extremely expensive, like not even I could afford kind of expensive place where people stay um, in these sort of like pseudo, uh, you know, made for the purpose kind of bush huts, mud huts with a thatched roof. And, and I walked around the property and the entire thing is just such a, a manufactured experience you know, and they have these African pieces of art everywhere, and it looks like it looks like an old colonial movie, you know, um, where some guy in a piss helmet and some wacky shorts is going to walk around the corner with a, an elephant gun, and he's going to announce we're going to go off and shoot some elephants or something. It looked like that kind of place, and I, I because I'd already been here a week, and I realised the the discrepancy between the experience people having 
um, at these kind of lodges are compared to what is really going on is just enormous. The reason why I do support the idea of that lodge was because that lodge is actually run by a Christian fellow. He's actually a Seventh-day Adventist. And the reason he set it up is because directly next door is an orphanage and he didn't want to have to continuously be fundraising and asking people for, you know, donations and trying to beg for charity. And so he set up this this lodge as a business and the money that comes in from this tourism goes towards running the orphanage and then the orphans are also trained in all aspects of hospitality and five-star hospitality, silver service, and then they have life skill. So in that situation, I think it's great. I think that's a phenomenal idea and it's been done really well. But on the other hand, I do think they're having a disconnected experience as guests as to what is really going on in, I guess, so many places in Africa. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about the uh, multinationals that are running these large corporations and working with uh, yeah. you know, the, mm-hmm. the flower industry and so forth. Um, are, these, are these companies that we know the names of? Can we, can we name and shame here today? Yes, absolutely. One of the biggest one is Unilever. Do you know Unilever or Unilever? It's, um, do you know that one? Um, I have heard the name, but, yeah, the whole flower okay, industry it, and I so have forth. To, so, I mean, yeah, the flower industry is different from Unilever, but Unilever is one of the biggest ones here that is doing a lot of exploitation. And I have to say, it is extremely difficult to avoid Unilever. Unilever is the company that produces most of any packaging around the world. So if you go to Woolies or Coles today and you go to your go to your shampoo aisle, pretty much every single bottle of shampoo or conditioner, moisturizer, whatever you pick up, if it's in a plastic bottle, you flip it over, you look on the back, and in the fine print you'll see that it's been made or has some sort of production done by Unilever. Right. I guess this is going to be the case yes. then with any of these really large companies when we look at it and sort of uh, dig into their, um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's the big scandal about Gillette and the Gillette ad, you know, where they yes. end up for uh, women's rights and then, of course, they're using slave labour to produce their products, um, which is... That's it, that's it. When you think about it, yeah. Okay. Now and to some to- extent, like you... Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. To some extent, you feel so helpless looking at the face of these enormous corporations and the billions of dollars they must be pulling in, and you feel so small and helpless. And uh, you think, you know, I'm just one person. What can I possibly do? And I would say the number thing we, number one thing we can do, is pray that Jesus comes quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Because some of these problems are really, really difficult to to um, to solve. I mean, my other question would be: Let's say that uh, that, that Unilever pulled out and said, "Okay, we're not going to do this um, here in Kenya anymore." Would it just then simply mean that all of these people were went from you know from being slaves to being unemployed? Yeah, that would go from earning three dollars fifty Australian a day to earning nothing a day. So it's not a solution either. They do these these massive corporations do have a responsibility not to just be like you know just take up the take up their bat and ball and go home. They have a responsibility to up the wages to actually provide you know proper care and and um, and. Uh, and, and, and sorry, salary for these, for these workers. They have a responsibility to treat their workers like human beings. And they know, I mean, they know that the reason why they're doing this stuff in third world countries is because they can pay them so little. That's how you make a better profit margin is you reduce your overheads. And one of the biggest overheads 
is manual labor, is, 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 is wages, is, is paying, you know, a staff. So they know what they're doing when they come here and look for, for, for staff. So they have responsibility to, to lift their game, not to just let everything fall. You know, they've, they've put themselves here. They've created a situation where people are now relying on them, so they need to do better. Sure. Mon, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always exciting to hear what is uh, taking place there in Africa. We're going to move on with the show. No worries. Yes. And uh, this. I is- do just want to tell you, Lyle, sorry, I just want to do want to tell you something that I will be going away for the next three nights to an outpost that is so far away um, that I might not be able to monrog, but I do have some interviews coming your way. So enjoy those. Ah, looking forward to them, Mon. Looking forward to them. And we'll monrog if we can. We'll see what happens. <laughs>
You're listening to Keith and Kristen Getty with a very African uh, song right there. Let's continue on with our quiz for the day. Lawson, what is the first clue for the quiz? All right. This is a who am I quiz. So this is a person. That's already already one thing you got doubt. You know that. This right. is a person. I'm writing that down. A and person. This is a person. <laughs> and our first clue for the quiz is... Six days before the Passover, a dinner was given to Jesus at my house. People gathered outside not only to see Jesus, but also to see me. And, sir, you'd be incorrect. (sighs) You are incorrect. If you know who this is, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, and we will give you a prize. Well, Lyle is just stumped, man. Look at look at that face. I, I, I've got another guest that I, I, I'd like to uh, to toss into the hat, but I will keep that for the next clue. Mm. Anyway, moving on with more serious story this morning, we have Cardinal Mueller. 71-year-old okay. German cardinal has just come out with a four-page manifesto against Pope Francis. Ooh. Even goes so far as using the word antichrist. Wow. Wow! I don't think I disagree with him. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, this is pretty full on, um, and so this is in the context of Francis's trip to the Arabian Peninsula, where he signed a document on human fraternity with a Muslim faith leader, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of conservative Muslims are all up in arms about that. And you know, I see two different sides of this. <clears throat> the first side of it is that. We need to be building bridges mm-hmm. with, you know, the various faiths around our world rather than um, starting wars. Mm-hmm. The last thing we want to be doing is starting religious wars. We've we've had, you know, uh, 4,000 years of history of religious wars. Let's put those behind us. And so I think from that perspective, it is a very, very positive thing that Pope Francis is building bridges mm-hmm. with the Islamic community. On the other hand, I also know my Bible. And in the Bible, if you go to Revelation chapter 16, let me just turn over to Revelation chapter 16 and read a passage here. The Bible speaks about the end of time. And the Bible says, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Mm -hmm. Now, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet all exist within the realm of religion. Yeah. And they're going out to the kings of the earth, that's the political leaders of the world, to bring to draw them together. So you've got this globalization of the planet taking place, wow. which is being driven by religion, which is exactly what we have in our world right now. Mm-hmm. Globalization is not political or economic at its foundation. It is religious. And so you've and what we find is that this end time gathering together really actually is against God. Mm. So I'm not a part of the, you know, the radical conservatives are like, you know, we need to have, uh, we need to have, um, you know, a, a, a uh, you know, we need to be fighting against these Muslims and so forth. No, we need to be welcoming them. We need to be friends with them. We need to uh, love them. We need to, you know, treat them as our neighbor. We need to be building bridges with them and connections wherever mm. we can. But at the same time. I do know the agenda because I do know what my Bible says, and mm. so that's why it sort of it, it sort of places you in two minds there. Yeah, but that is a pretty big claim, Lyle. Though, just going back to what you said, that the, the foundation of globalization being religious—that's oh, that's a huge claim. Oh, because hey, you, I, just I, just uh, just do a little bit of research. You will not have to dig very far at all. <laughs> 
and you will find it. We'll oh, see. We'll see it. Unquestionably. I just I just remember I, I you know studying globalization in school and them talking about it. And it's like yeah, if we have more money from more taxpayers from more parts of the world, then we can build bigger roads to places. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But foundationally religious. Oh man, that's yeah. that's a big it's, claim. It's, it's driven by religion, and it's actually against God. Now, well, of course, uh, Cardinal Mueller has a couple of other different issues that he has with. Uh, Pope Francis, mm-hmm. um, and this is interesting because he is against Francis's um, his weakening stand on homosexuality and divorce, mm-hmm. and his excessive focus on climate change and economic inequality, mm-hmm. and divorcees receiving communion. What I find interesting is this: is that it seems that yes, Pope Francis is definitely well. We all know that he's uh, he's he's definitely left wing. But it seems that every reform he pushes for, he misses as far as, you know, where he should be hitting as far as what the Bible goes, mm. what the Bible says. Yeah. yeah. You know, because you think about it, he, he's weakening the uh, the stand on homosexuality and divorce, whereas the Bible's quite strong on these subjects. Mm. Um, and at the same time, he is doing nothing about what he needs to be doing about, which is celibacy of the priesthood and the confession. Mm-hmm. And this is what's causing the problem for him with all of the child sex scandals around the world. Those two combine together to create a per- perfect storm of child sex abuse. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Bible is powerfully, vehemently against you know, the concept of confessing to another human being and vehemently against the Bible, in fact, calls it a doctrine of Satan, the concept of celibacy um, when it is enforced such as it is in the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that um, Pope Francis needs to spend more time reading his Bible and focus on, you know, what the Bible has to actually say on these things. However, I do stand with Pope Francis in that he has allowed, he wants to allow divorcees to receive communion and yes i have some once again it's hard to agree with everything that he stands for because in the roman catholic tradition without communion there is no salvation mm-hmm. and so a person who is divorced has been cut off from salvation i believe the bible teaches in grace yeah and it doesn't matter what sin a person has committed, there is no such thing as a mortal sin. The only sin that is a mortal sin is the sin that is not confessed. Yeah. You know, and we can't go around passing judgment um, just willy-nilly on people's divorces and all these kinds of things. And so I've got a bit of a yes and no on that one. Yes, they yeah, should. You, you can't block them out of uh, heaven, but at the same time, it's not your business. Get yeah. out of it. It's, it's between them and God, mm. you know. And, uh, and and they can go directly to God. They don't need to go through another human being. Yeah. They don't need to, to go into a church to receive salvation. Um, and that's not that I'm against church. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about the, uh, the need and the effectiveness of church. Anyway, that's my, uh, my, my rant on Pope Francis <laughs> for this morning. I hope he was listening. Um, and can take Shout some, out take, Pope take, Francis. Take, take, take some tips out of uh, Lyle's book. I've got all the problems the world solved here this morning. Bam. <laughs> no, I have no problem solved We're whatsoever geniuses. at all. But the Bible does and God does. Mm. All right, so in North India, this is going a completely different direction now. Uh, 39 people are dead. 27 people are ill from drinking alcohol, alcohol poisoning. Ooh. 
did they get and in stitched up with methanol or something? Yes, methanol. Ooh, <laughs> rough. Yeah, India has a reputation of this. Um, they lose a thousand people per year to methanol poisoning in alcohol in mm. India. So the moral of the story is if you're traveling to India, just drink water. Drink water. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to say this if you are traveling anywhere, and even if you are not traveling, Drink water. It will do you no harm. But maybe not from the taps in India. Or not from the taps. Yeah. No, no, no. Get some bottles. Spoil it first or run through a life straw. <laughs> uh, one of those two things and uh, you'll be all good. I have drunk water in countries like that in the past and it didn't go so well. Yeah, I can imagine. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but yeah, 200 people in 1992, 180 people in 2011, 100 people in 2015, all in, uh, in, in one single party. Died, alcohol poisoning, methanol uh, oh, mixed in there. Rough. Couple based in California have had their prayers answered after they decided to go camping in winter, and a snowstorm hit, and their car got buried in the snow. They spent uh, five days praying for rescue to come, and uh, snowmobiles turned up. Snowmobiles were looking for them, and a father and son had come up with a theory as to where he thought they might be. Turned the corner, there's a Jeep 300 yards away and they're a bit worried because they're going to find dead bodies inside. And suddenly this couple, they just started laying on the horn and jumping out the doors, as you can imagine they would <laughs> after being stuck there for five days in bonnet-high snow. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, one th- last thing. No, we don't have time for one last thing. Oh, so bad. Anyway, this is Sila, the beautiful, terrible cross. You're listening to Faith FM. We'll be back after this. There is a beautiful, terrible cross Where though you committed no sin Savior, you suffered the most wicked fate On the cruelest creation of man Yet on that beautiful, terrible cross You did what only you could Turning that dark inspired evil of hell Into our soul's greatest good We see the love that you showed us We see the life that you lost We bow and wonder and praise you For the beautiful, terrible was strong on that hill You remain sovereign Lord still in control As your perfect plan was fulfilled
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8, or 88 right across Australia. Now, in a sensational recent news report by ABC Science that was uh, recently released, um, claims are made that evolutionary uh, missing links, so to speak, uh, Neanderthals and Denisovians lived in the same cave or cave system for a period of about a hundred thousand years. So this kind of piqued my interest. Um, I decided that I needed to get somebody who actually knew a lot more about this subject than I am. And so Dr. Peter Line has been uh, gracious to join us on the phone today. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Now, uh, Dr. Peter Line has a PhD in neuroscience. He spent a decade in research and a decade as a university le- lecturer. Um, he has a particular interest and focus on uh, paleoanthropology and the uh, the so-called hominid ho- hominid fossils. I'll try and get my tongue around that one. And uh, so, Peter, we're really glad that you can join us, hoping you can answer some questions here. And, and I really wanted to just begin by asking you, what's the difference between a race and a species? You know, we talk about the uh, Neanderthals and the Denisovians. Um, are they a different species or are they just simply a different race? Yeah, well, race historically is kind of used to describe um a group or subspecies within a species. Now, because it's so politically, uh, so politically charged word today, it, it tends to be avoided and people talk more of population groups or things like that. Now, um, so now a species is a kind of, uh, so, so basically a race in the old language which would be all part of the same species. Uh, now, a species is a, is a concept where, uh, uh, I guess, like a definition, it's a group of interbreeding uh, natural populations that which are reproductively isolated, isolated from other uh, such groups. That's a sort of evolutionary definition of, of it by Ernst Smear, who was one of the big evolutionists in the 20th century. Uh, and so... Uh, and so you have the Denisovans and the Anatols. Now they have been well, have been classed as different uh, species uh, by evolutionists, but we know from the ancient DNA analysis that actually they interbred with modern humans. They interbred with each other, and then so by the biological species concept, they were actually they're all technically human Homo sapiens in that sense of the word, uh, but evolutionists tend not to uh, use the biological species concept when it comes to fossils, uh, so uh, they kind of analyse the, the fossils, the morphology of them, and other factors that come into account, the, the, the alleged sort of uh, long age, of the, the age of the fossil, where it's found. Uh, now, in the case of the Denisovans, there isn't really much fossils that go by. There's only a sort of a, a, a bit of a finger and, and I think three molars so far. So you can't really define it by morphology. So it's actually defined by the DNA 
and and so yeah. Um, okay, but yeah, I mean, if I look at that, and I'm I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know, I I look at somebody who uh, say um, is African, and I compare their DNA to somebody who is Chinese, and they have different DNA as well. So surely, different DNA alone doesn't make a different species. No, of course, of course not. Um, so uh, that that's why. Uh, Basically, uh, although it it depends on which view you're looking at, the creation view or the evolutionary view, uh, the evolutionary, of course, because fossils, extinct fossils, you know, obviously they can't reproduce, and so you can't actually, uh, so so you can't use the, you know, in terms, and and a a lot of them, you can't analyze the DNA, so all you've got is their morphology. And a lot of that is iffy, and I, I think a lot of it is misclassified. I think, uh, from a creation point of view, uh, is that there is only there is only one human species, and uh, and Homo sapiens, and even things like uh, Homo erectus, uh, the Neanderthals, uh, things that are broadly grouped into say Homo heidelbergensis, uh, I believe are all uh, humans, and technically. Uh, would be uh, Homo. In fact, you could. In fact, one of the interesting things is that we don't know what uh, in what the DNA of groups like Homo heidelbergensis uh, and Homo erectus were like. I believe they were the same. But they're not really often they're kind of labelled. One, you know, the, the heidelbergensis is labelled as erectus, and so uh, I, I don't know, and, and so we don't know what the DNA is like. Know that maybe. They are the Denisovans that we, we just don't know. Sure. Um, and and some evolutionists speculate at least that the Denisovans might be these these heavily strongly built uh, Homo heidelbergensis uh, 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 belong to well be, be related to those fossils that are found. Yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, let me just put a scenario out there. If we took a snapshot of our world right now, let's say that there was a, uh, a mad- massive catastrophe, to f- catastrophe tomorrow that wiped out you know, all historical records and uh, most of the human race and we had about eight people left and in 4,000 years' time we had archaeologists who came back to our day and our era to try and understand our world um, and you know, through archaeology, and they dug up you know people from different parts of the world um, under the evolutionary model. Could they, you know, the different races that we have today be classed as being, you know, different uh, species just through ignorance of what the world was like? Well, in the evolution, you, I guess it's all arbitrary. So. So, and everyone's DNA, even unless you're identical twins, even from the siblings, your DNA is going to differ. So, if they didn't have any historical record whatsoever, I mean, technically, it's possible that if they if they if they looked at uh, humans today, looked at the morphology, they'd probably see that it's very similar. But if they looked at the DNA, that they're going to find differences, and they may find some groups, yeah, it's slightly percentage-wise. Fractional different data, so it just depends on uh, how they divide it. That you could divide it like that, but uh, but uh, you know that we we know from we live in today that we're not different species. The differences are, are really really minor, 
And but who, who knows? Because it's all in, in the evolution of you. It's all arbitrary. Uh, so so it's difficult. It's just difficult to say, really. But um, yeah. But it, it really yeah. Uh, it, it's just hard. One of those things that uh, you can't really answer. But it's it, it's possible. Yeah, sure. And I guess the other thing too is that archaeologists will often, you know date fossils in relationship to you know the the layer that they find them in or the um, artifacts that are found beside them um, and so forth and so for instance if we took that same snapshot and now that same scenario you know you've got Australia you know they could dig up the ruins of Sydney and find a very civilized population they could uh, you know our closest neighbor is Papua New Guinea. It's only four kilometres from one of the Australian islands to Papua New Guinea, and there are people there who are Stone Age in their um, in their in their in their living environment, you know. And, and in in the archaeological model, surely they would be dated much older than, uh, for instance, what we've got. You know, people living in Sydney. Yeah. Well, I guess this technically to evolution of the Stone Age sort of passed a few thousand years ago, but you know. There are some groups that kind of, if they're using sort of implements that are based on stone, and uh, and you compare that those groups living today with you know people living in in uh, Sydney uh, CBD or whatever, you know, there's a huge huge difference, technological gap, and it's kind of all uh, and you know all the history was erased in terms of written history, and all you found was that those digs. Uh, or you found that the, the, the remains of the civilizations in digs and layers, uh, you, you'd wonder whether uh, future archaeologists would kind of um, look and say, well, these, these two civilizations couldn't have lived at the same time and, and they'd probably, probably be tempted to find a way to put the ones in, living in New Guinea at a, a more earlier date. Um, that's, that's just my speculation. But, but. Yeah, I know, we're, we're just speculating, but I think what it does is it highlights one of the challenges that archaeologists have um, in dating, you know, some of these um, these older fossils, you know, yeah. as, 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 you know because you can have different civilizations that, that exist at, at similar times. Now, moving on from there, um, these missing links that we're talking about, the Neanderthals and the Deniso- Denisovians, um how primitive a people or a yeah um, were they? Um, you know, we're often told that these are a uh, you know one of the one of the links in the evolutionary chain. So we would think that they would be more you know more animal like in the way that they lived as compared to human beings. Were they you know were they somewhere in between an animal and a human being, or or, or were they um, yeah well, how, how well, primitive were they? No, no, no. Well, from what we know, the the Nandals, uh, you, even many evolutionists now, and it's sort of, whilst they were robust in their morphology, that in terms of their behaviour, they were very uh, intelligent. And a lot of the tools and things they had, you know, super glue for um, attaching uh, spear tips to the shafts, uh, they, they, their morphology indicates that they were able to speak. Uh, they made jewelry, uh, you know, they buried their dead, they had all sorts of uh, tools, stone tools, bone tools, uh, you know, cooking utensils, they were good hunters. So, you know, for their time, you know, imagine us going and living in that environment, you know, so 
as, as recreation is a lead over early post-flood. And so imagine living in a world that's just been destroyed and you're navigating new territory. I mean, imagine surviving in that environment almost starting from scratch. So so we, we, we should be... People have judged them very harshly, but only now it's starting to come back that they were very intelligent and we only got to sort of turn up, you know, go and see if you can survive in, uh, in some uh, extreme environment for a few days and you probably uh, have much more admiration for the Neanderthals. That's what are Denisovans, because they're kind of only known for a few fossil fragments uh, and they're only known from, found in that, well, from one area in Siberia and sort of eastern Russia in a cave, Denisovan cave, and there's only, I think, at the moment, there may be some other scraps coming, but there's just three molar tooth and a bit of finger known. And so it's only, uh, as we talked about earlier, species defined by DNA. But there seems to be found in... Um, the, and the Russians believe that the two, that the the tools that were found there, so again, have very sort of, basically tools that a lot of the researchers there believe had to be made in modern humans because they're, they're that modern. But the Russians believe they were made of dinosaurs and the dating from their point of view kind of fits with that. So, so they were, generally were pretty modern too. Uh, and so there's no reason to believe they would have been uh, primitive. And primitive is very, it's a very subjective term anyhow. It's just sort of, you know, we look at things today, but we, you know, you think of a person, say, who has a, you know, um, a dome skull, a sort of high uh, forehead or whatever, that's supposed to be advanced feature in the evolution scheme. But there's a lot of people walking around with more sloping foreheads, so, you know, I'm probably one of them. And, and and I, and I, I don't think it, we're any more primitive than the other. So it's very, very subjective. It's a very subjective thing. And, and, and just one thing on the, the missing link is that evolutionists these days, they won't use that term. They're putting out flies or things. Don't use it, don't use it, because it's all changing. They don't believe that, you know, one one species turned into another and then it turned into another, all, all these links. Um, was that sort of uh, shown to be not the case? And, and so what's happening is that uh, they, use, they, use, they, use, they use terms like uh, braided um, streams of how evolutionary happened and that, uh, and that there was no central figure that basically... Um, that, 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 that basically did, uh, that, that was just kind of direct answer and other that was a kind of mixture and so you get all these morphological features mixing up and things like that and so it's a very very complex scenario but it's it's sort of and totally confusing and one of the reasons I do this is, is because a lot of the evolutionary scenarios like the out of Africa replacement theory of modern human origins has basically you know just recently essentially been falsified and so basically uh uh, and, and so you just sort of, um, they now make it more difficult to nail them down anything, but, uh, the, the, the uh, but, and so what you can now is you kind of have a, uh, a collection, I guess you could say, of evolutionary justice stories about this and that and the other. You can't, it's hard to falsify 
but it's also hard to prove when you, yeah so um yeah that becomes quite complicated to um to, to even try and follow is like where do they all blend together and you know because yeah. in the past in the past you know we grew up with the the, the, the pictures of all of the different um you know the 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 ape, which was followed by the you know the this and then the that and then the other, and you've got all of these links, and then you had the humans who replaced the last yeah. ones, and uh, and now obviously they know that that's not true, and that all of these different um, so-called species were interbreeding with each other, and it uh, it once again it highlights the fact that every couple of years our science books they just get rewritten, don't they? Yeah, well, it, it, it's sort of does that you you know I. I, I kind of sort of um, a little while back looked, looked at a lot. So, so they used to be that sort of you have apes that you had these early hominids that turn into the Australopithecines. The Australopithecines turn into Homo habilis, who turn into Homo erectus, who then sort of uh, turn into these archaic humans or Homo heidelbergensis, and then they turn into modern humans. Now, the, the demarcation line is you have the Australopithecines, which as a creationist, we argue is basically extinct primates, rapes, uh, you know, and basically then you have Homo erectus, who are fully human. So, so in the centre you have this Homo habilis, but if you actually analyse them, you find that pretty much nearly all of them actually, and even some evolutionists believe, should be reclassified into another genus, likely Australopithecines. So basically, they rapes primates too, and if you look at their postcranial skeleton, the only one with, say, associated cranial remains is actually just as ape-like as the Australopithecine Lucy or, or something like that. So, we, so basically, if you take that out, there is, there is nothing because if you look at the Homo erectus skeleton, okay, his head looks a bit. Um, robust and large dowries, but post-cranially, it's essentially like a modern human. And, uh, you know, if you look at the Tukana boy found in Africa, and so you have, so there's this huge gap. And But the textbooks used to, you know, portray it as a nice, smooth transition, that, but it doesn't work like that. And now it's all all over the place, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah, no, fascinating information. Uh, Dr. Peter Lyon has been fantastic having you on the show today. Unfortunately, we are um, running short on time and we are going to have to move on. Um, yep. So many more questions here I had written down that I wanted to ask, but uh, maybe another time. But, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. All right, thank you. That was Dr. Peter Line, um, who is um, uh, his PhD is in neuroscience and uh, area of um, expertise and research in paleoanthropology and hominoid fossils. Uh, we're going to move on. We'll be back after this song and the eight o'clock news. Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But there's a program called Forgive to Live, designed to help us all improve our lives and discover the healing power of forgiveness. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Where are you now when darkness seems to end?
Hello, Jackie speaking. Hi, Jackie. I've just cleaned and polished my motorcycle. Who can I ride with? Why not ride with us? Who's us? Adventist Motorcycle Ministry. What is Adventist Motorcycle Ministry? Adventist Motorcycle Ministry is a Christian motorcycle riders group. We are drug and alcohol free. Rides are normally on the first Sunday of each month. Are other riders welcome? Yes, of course. But they need to be aware that AMM is drug and alcohol free. Where can I find out more information? Information. Just ring Jeff on 0458 555. Yes, call Jeff on 0458-000-505 for more details. That number again is 0458 555. you are listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.